0: Bring your Bibles to the book of John. Um, I'm not going to be talking about the Holy Spirit in particular today. Um, Had a lot of different meetings that went longer than expected, so I didn't get to spend appropriate time preparing for the lesson I was going to bring today. Um, But I want to talk to you about something else that has um, been a little bit on my mind in a peripheral sense. But before I do, I want to kind of lead up to it for a second here um, and show you... This kind of ties in with some of the things we've been talking about on Sunday, and evangelism, and discipleship, and things like that, just to kind of lead into it. Hopefully it won't take too long. Uh, More of a devotional message today. Uh, But look at John chapter 2, in verse 13 and verse 23. Um, If somebody would like to read verses 13 and 23 for us.
1: at the Passover miraculous sign that doing and believed in
0: Okay, so where is he right now? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Okay, and this is where what leads into John chapter three, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, with his conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, right. And this is where we get some of the clearest passages on um, the gospel. You have John chapter 3 verse 16. You have that whole paragraph that really summarizes the mission and the purpose of Christ um, for coming to this earth. Um, but here we see him. This is this, in John's record. This would represent really the first part of Christ's ministry where he's really propelling the gospel of the kingdom. And people are starting to believe in his name. Um, and then we look at John chapter three, verse twenty-two. Somebody would like to read that for us. After these things,
1: Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with
0: them and baptized. Okay, so here Jesus is in where? Judea. Judea. In my translation, says the Judean countryside, but there's no, there's not a whole lot of a difference there, and that's not to be noted anyway. So we see here he's in Judea and in the following paragraphs till the end of chapter three we see John the Baptist um, testifying as to the purpose of why Christ has come and how John the Baptist he's not the Christ. uh, But this other man named Jesus, he is the Christ and people need to believe on his name and whoever does will have eternal life. And then we get to John chapter four um, starting in verse one. If somebody read John chapter four um, here let's see Her not verse 1 uh, ver- well verses 1 through 4 ver- 1 through 5 1 through 5 keep changing my mind John 4 1 through 5
1: So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, and the plot of ground that Jacob gave
0: to his son Joseph. Okay, so where is Jesus now? Samaria. Samaria. Okay. Um, now look at, this is, seems kind of random, but perhaps somebody might be putting the pieces together here. John chapter 4, verse 46. Tucker, you want to read it? Okay. All right, so in this passage, it's a little bit different. You, okay, where is he? What town is he in? Cana. Okay, so he went to Cana, and at Capernaum also, there was a... A Roman official whose son was ill. So now we see him talking to a Roman official. Um, I don't know, has anybody caught on here to what I'm getting at with these random passages? Well, he,
1: was traveling
0: he was traveling around, right. Where was he first? Where was he second? Judea. Where was he third? Samaria, and the fourth interaction was with a, was with a, Ro- a Roman from Italy. He was in Cana, but his interaction was with a Gentile. Does this sound familiar? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria the uttermost parts of the earth. It's from X one eight, perhaps. <laughs> Preach the, yeah X one eight. I mean, let's just I'll read that real quick. If you can turn there if you want. Acts one eight. Jesus gives the instructions to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Or the uttermost parts of the earth, perhaps, is what your Bible says. So in John, I never noticed this before until I was just kind of doing some reading for today's lesson, that Jesus actually did that himself. He started in Jerusalem, went to Judea then to Samaria, and then he had interactions from a man from the uttermost parts of the earth. I just thought that was kind of an interesting little uh, little uh, snippet there to kind of tie in some of the things we've been talking about, about Christ's instruction for his disciples to go and make disciples, giving us a way to do that, giving us instructions for how to do that. And We, of course, talked about... Um, we have the household of God that Jesus told us to start with. Begin, begin with those in, um, begin with the Jews. Begin with the Jews because they're supposed to be the ones who understand the word of God, who understand the Messiah, who know that He's coming. He told us that we need to start with those people because they have the greatest um, chance of connecting with the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Because the, Jesus Christ was the Jews' Messiah. Um, And uh, then you go to Judea, Samaria, and today we're actually going to talk of a little bit. You know, not we're not going to go too deep today. But in in John chapter four, we see Jesus' interaction with who we would call the woman at the well, or the Samaritan woman. Um, We're not going to. I'll just read a little bit of this story here, but I want to key in on one thing that Jesus said, and I just want to leave that with you guys. Think about and to discuss perhaps with us today for a few minutes. Um, But Jesus says in in John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, The Bible says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now stop there. He's dealing with matters of water, right? Why is he talking so much about water? And what's his, what do you think his, his point is in his discussion with this woman about water? He says, if you would have asked me... I would have given you living water. What's he talking about, Tucker? Um, He's talking about um, the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit. I think that's definitely part of this, for sure. Yep. Because once we receive the living water, that Spirit is kind of like how he describes in, in the end of verse 14. It would be like a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Mm hmm. So, yep. A double meaning with the water. Right. And you, anybody remember what Jeremiah talked about? Fountains and broken cisterns. Does anybody remember anything about that passage? Where the people had been licking, <laughs> had been trying to find sustenance in idols and forsaking the Lord their God when the fountain of living water was right there to be drawn from the whole time, but yet they turned their back on the fountain of living water and had started to rely upon broken cisterns that could hold no water. Now what in the world does that mean? (laughs) He's talking in riddles, right? What in the world is he talking about? Why is Jeremiah rebuking the people of God and using such cryptic language?
1: David, it looked different. Right. Right.
0: And if they don't hold water, then what happens? They They go thirsty, right? Because they don't have anything to draw from anymore. Those cisterns are broken. They can't go and draw water from them and to be satisfied. And you have to have water. Exactly. You end up dying. How many of you have ever gone a long period of time without water, and then all of a sudden got a drink again? You know, and how you know isn't there a difference between okay, I'm drinking water right now to kind of keep my throat from getting all raspy because that just tend, tends to happen when I'm talking. But I'm not really thirsty. It's not really satisfying any appetite for me. It's simply kind of keeping my throat lubricated. Now, the difference between me drinking water now and drinking water after running a marathon, it would feel a little bit different, right? <laughs> Why would that feel different?
1: She would
0: body says, I <laughs> because the difference between running a marathon and drinking water right now is, after running a marathon, my body actually needs it to like replenish what has been lost, to set to to sustain itself, to keep it. hmm Right. I have to replenish everything that I've lost. Right. And if I don't get that water, I could die. I could get gravely ill. Go to the hospital, and they'd hook have to hook me up to some fluids. Right. Because our bodies need fluids. What is that, does that have any correlation with the biblical teaching about God being the fountain of living water? And the world being a place of broken cisterns. Yes. Yes, I
1: <laughs>
0: guess. <laughs> you need that to live. You need it to live. Yeah. And have you ever gone for a period of time without being in the word without being in prayer and then you pick up the word of god again for the first time in a week or two or however long or you kneel down and and you have some real intense prayer for the first time and who knows how long how satisfying is that isn't that amazing how it's like it's almost it, it is almost literally the same feeling you get when you're so drastically thirsty after being perhaps working out on a hot day on a ladder without having a cup of water or painting a building or, or putting up drywall or sheetrock or whatever it is, or whatever it is you're doing and then you haven't had water in a while then you pick up that glass of water and it's just whew, you can just feel the satisfaction in your body flowing through you. Have you ever had that with the Word of God? Where you just pick up the Word of God and you can just sense the satisfaction of the Lord Coursing through your veins. And it means more than that, really. I mean, this is welling up in, into eternal life. I mean, this is a water that, w- we, if you partake of the living water, you know, a fountain wasn't like a fountain out, you know, somebody erects a fountain in their front yard and it's spewing water out of this, you know, this, you know, mermaid or something. <laughs> That's not what it's talking about. I <laughs> Little Mermaid or a, <laughs> or a sprinkler. It's not really talking about that, but you know, you have a pool of water. A lot of towns would be built around a well, and a well gets its water kind of from what they would call a spring. It's an underwater source of water that continually feeds a pool so that that pool is always there, whether it rains or not, because it's getting water from underneath. So that water... They can rely upon it, even though you don't necessarily know where that water is coming from. It's coming from some channel underneath the water, and it's filling this pool. And that pool is always full because of the channels of water coming to it and feeding it. That's what they would think of when they thought of a spring or a fountain. Um, basically, this idea that there's always going to be the sustenance there. It doesn't go away unless there's a severe drought and those underwater channels are dried out. But he's saying, if you had asked me, I would have given you living water. That water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. That's something that will not go away. That is something that will sustain you through life. And that's something that will always be there, even after death. It will, it will result in eternal life. But more or less what I want to discuss with is, he, he continues, and I, and I want to skip a few verses here, and he says... And uh, so at this point, the disciples had left him alone at the well. He's talking to this woman alone. And they're going to get some food because, um, you know, he says he had, had to pass through Samaria. Um, Jacob, he, they, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as from his journey, was sitting beside the well. He was wearied. He was tired because there was a long journey. They'd been walking for, or riding for a long time. And he was hungry and thirsty. And Jesus is asking this woman for a drink. Um, But then he's using that really to initiate a conversation about eternal matters. And then he goes over here in um, verse 27. Then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town um, and were coming to him. Meanwhile, verse 31. The disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Remember, he was hungry. They were famished. They were on a long trip. He needed sustenance. But in verse 32, what does he say? He says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So he's rejecting their food. He's, he's not taking their Even though he's famished, he's rejecting their food. Why in the world is he rejecting the disciples' food? What does he mean when he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about? We were talking about satisfaction and sustenance. Tucker. then and, and he has the living water and the bread. Okay, he has the living water and the living bread. Okay, that's a good answer. Bread of life. He is the bread of life. But really, he's talking about something that satisfies him. He doesn't need their food because he's already in the midst of satisfaction. What in the world is Christ's satisfaction? Well, we pick it up in verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what satisfies him. In fact, it satisfied him to such a degree that he didn't even want the disciples' food for his hungry, physical body, because he was so entrenched in doing the work of his father that he couldn't think about his physical needs. He did not want to distract himself from his father's work that was already in action by entertaining his body's longings. And we've talked about fasting before. And that's essentially part of what it is to fast. Is that you are so intensely aware of some spiritual need that you don't want the physical longings of your body to distract you from this greater matter. And this is what Jesus is doing. He is rejecting His dinner because He's in the middle of ministering to an entire town. He's in the middle of ministering to this woman who, is, who has just left the scene to go testify of his name to the town. And he doesn't want to take an intermission. He doesn't want there to be a break in this ministry. He wants these people, he wants to be ready to do the Father's will and not be satisfying his physical needs. You know, a lot of us just, it doesn't. I'm talking about American Christianity, it just doesn't compute with us. Why would he just not eat? I mean, he's, he's tired, he's famished. Wouldn't he be a better minister if he were to just eat something so that he had the energy to go and minister to these people? Yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe his body would be more able to cope with what's up ahead. But Jesus still, further, he rejects it. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. It's not that he wasn't being satisfied. No, it's the point is that he was being satisfied. What was he being satisfied with? Exactly, he was so engrossed in doing God's will that that's all that mattered to him. And I and I am grieved at the state of American Christianity. I can pick on America. I mean, this is not just American. This is all across the world. But I am grieved because we bicker, we fight, we engross ourselves in so many different things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God because we're not actually seeking the kingdom of God. We can spend our whole week barely thinking at all about Jesus Christ or his kingdom or the lost or you know the persecuted. We can go the whole week without mourning over, over martyrs or over our lost fellows, because we simply are not engrossed in the will of God. We fill our bodies. We are a fat, literally a fat country because Well, we don't really have anything that we're pursuing. We don't really have anything that we're exerting ourselves for. And our churches are fat churches in a spiritual level. We have all this knowledge, all this information, all this access, but absolutely no action. Not necessarily talking about any individual here, but just in general, we have so much access, so much ministry going on in the United States, but yet... The United States itself still continually, perpetually, is being overshadowed in darkness. People are content to spend their week playing on their phones, reading all sorts of other novels, entertaining ourselves with the television, doing all sorts of things, stuffing our faces, just pleasing our bodies, pleasing our affections, Because we don't know what it means to be like Jesus who said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. We don't know what it means to be satisfied by the work of God like we would be satisfied with a delicious meal. We go to serve at some ministry or something and it's just a lot of work. It's tiring. We can't wait till it's over. We can't believe we have to do something else again. And it's just a chore because it's not satisfying to do the will of God. I mean, but how many times have you experienced, though, when you've had, you just had that amazing conversation with somebody about spiritual things? Perhaps you got to lead someone to Christ. Perhaps you just sat down with a fellow brother or sister in Christ and you just had such a nourishing conversation with them that you left elated In a way that no television, no app, no book could ever satisfy you. Have you ever felt that? These are the things that we should be feasting on. These are the things that people think we're strange for engrossing our lives in. But we cannot regret because it's so incredibly satisfying to be in the midst of the will of God. And I... I know the human condition because I've been there. I I know the satisfaction of doing the will of God, and I I know it, but there are still times when I reject it, and I still try to drink from the broken cisterns. (laughs) I know it just as well as anybody else does. But I am afraid that more people than perhaps uh, we might be willing to admit don't even really know what it means to be thus satisfied with the work of God. To really feel in your soul where the Spirit dwells that statement, the water that I give Him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Can you, can you sense that in your soul from the Spirit of God? Can you sense that when you're having that spiritual conversation with somebody? Can you sense that when you're learning from the Word of God? Can you sense that that water stirring like the pool of Bethesda, healing the broken parts of your body, your soul? Have you ever felt that? And I'm talking a lot about feelings, (laughs) but we are a whole person, right? We are body and soul. The feelings work with our relationship with God. We feel something when we're walking with Christ. Not always, okay, not always. But it will be there. Do you know it? Do you know what Jesus is talking about? Can you can you recall a time when you can say when you felt I have food to eat that you do not know about where you purposefully, you know what, you looked at the clock and you saw that it was lunchtime, but you were in a really good conversation with somebody. You're 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 part of a You're working some sort of ministerial work for the kingdom of God, and you just didn't want to stop because of what was going on, (laughs) because that was satisfying, that was beautiful, that was wonderful, that was sustaining. You didn't need to go and grab lunch, you could skip it today, (laughs) because what was going on was far more important than the satisfaction of the body. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been part of something like that? We ought to be, because if we don't know that, that, if we can't recall something fresh in our minds that was like that, then it's there's a chance, there's a chance, I can't judge for sure, but you need to seek this out on your own, but there's a chance that we're not actually doing anything eternally valuable. We might be busy doing stuff, but perhaps we're not doing anything eternally valuable that would stir the waters of the wells of eternal life that are within us, that would satisfy us, body and soul. That would be so delightful that, yeah, I could skip food. I could skip anything for this. Because these are matters of the eternal kingdom. And I love it. Anything anybody would like to mention?
1: Uh, you can't hardly stop. or not think about Moses in this case. He went 40 days without food nor water. Without drink, it's said, it. And then mm-hmm. he comes down yeah. and right. breaks the stone and then he's back up. 40 days again. Yeah,
0: so, yep. It's hard
1: to even imagine. For us. Mm-hmm, yep. But if God was his satisfaction. And it's like sustained. Say, I'm not, I mean, if I had food within eight hours off, right. my food Right, right, right. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. he did it. And it
0: really wasn't a
1: whole lot big deal made of it. Yeah. The whole explanation is, well, God was his satisfaction.
0: Yeah.
1: And, of course, Jesus did that in the wilderness.
0: Yes, he did. Donna?
1: I like your examples, but we need to be careful about putting everybody in the same box. Don't ask too many diabetics to do
0: that. Yeah, Yeah, we don't we don't want anybody going (laughs) into the hospital. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I'm serious, we can't put everybody in the same box and judge Mm -hmm. people by the same
0: criteria. And my point isn't as much about the whole going without food. (laughs) Right. Right, right. But, yeah. mm-hmm. no, I, and I thought about that when I was thinking through this, because <laughs> um, I do know that there are some dietary issues in the in our assembly, um, and I am by no means promoting people submitting to cardiac arrest <laughs> um, for the sake of, you know, whatever.
1: Which
0: is the problem when you want to have a fast, which we used to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Them. Mm-hmm. You have to have food your fast. Yep. Yes, you do
1: stolen Mhm. Yeah. mm yeah. doctor. Mhm. need to drink more. <laughs> <laughs> mhm. Donna. But I understand your yeah.
0: example. Yeah. Sure. What you're sure. To say. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's the and that's all I wanted to get across, you know. You know, I'm not trying to be a legalist up here saying that if you're not skipping meals then you're not in the will of God. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. You know, it's simply proclaiming the point that we should know the satisfaction that comes from god himself not just we should be, we should give ourselves to the things of god that we can produce that sort of satisfaction rather than constantly living our lives wasting away with the broken cistern things broken sister and things are television apps, you know, novels, and all sorts of all, you know, activities that, we, that are not wrong in and of themselves and are actually useful in moderation, right? I'm not condemning television. I'm not condemning apps. What I am saying is that we can give ourselves to this type of man kingdom life where all we're trying to do is find satisfaction from all these other entertainment Objects or even satisfaction from achievements a lot of men will and women, but I think it 's more of a man problem um, to find our satisfaction in how well we work, how hard we work, how many hours we put in that can be from the devil too. <laughs> that can be from the broken cisterns too. We can cloak it in the in the uh, um, in the uh, thought that i 'm just being a responsible man doing what a man should do. <laughs> But really, it could simply just be licking the walls of a broken cistern, trying to find our identity and our work, which is anti-gospel. So the whole point of this is we need to know firsthand at the deepest parts of our soul what, it, what it's like to have food to eat that other people can't really understand, to find satisfaction even though I'm not satisfying myself with food or drink or things like that, to find deep joy and delight banqueting with believers or simply doing the work of God in some manner, some eternal manner. Anything else
1: before we move on to prayer requests?